Good evening, church. It is so very good to see all of you. I hope that you're having a wonderful week. Uh, as I like to tell you on Wednesday nights, thank you for, for making time for a midweek Bible study. I know that you're incredibly busy. I know that you've got all kinds of things going on, but whether you're watching online or you're here with us in the auditorium, you've chosen to be here. So thank you so very much for that. I'll, as Eric said, we're not going to be meeting next Wednesday night, uh, so I will miss you. But I'm really enjoying uh, this series of James that we're going through. I'm glad that we started with some uh, some Christ-focused songs. That's really good because James is a very practical book as opposed to some of Paul's letters that are very theologically dense. Uh, James seems to be more practical, but even, even within the practical, I think we have to be really careful not to miss the very rich theology that's there that is motivating this type of behavior. In fact, what we've been saying throughout this, this series is that this is what real, true, pure, and undefiled religion looks like. This is what it looks like to be religious people, the things that James is describing, because we have this tendency to think religion is just things we think about and talk about and debate about, things that are very ethereal. But James gets very practical and says, real, pure, undefiled religion is also about the things that we do with our hands and our feet and our mouth. And it's our mouth that we're going to talk about tonight. But I thought we'd start with a few. I, I, I always think that these are really funny. Um, in fact, there's a website that collects, I forget how they put it, but um, wacky, I think, wacky warning labels. You've seen warning labels that it's like, hmm, why did they have to put that on there? I wonder, there was probably somebody who did that once upon a time. Is like, okay, never again. We're going to put a label. Don't do that. So like this one on a coffee pot, do not hold over people. I, apparently that was really on a coffee pot at one point. Apparently you gotta, you gotta warn people, don't hold that over people. Or I like this one on a toy lightsaber for accessory use only not to be used as a battle device. Just in case you're wondering, don't use that in an actual battle. Uh, or this was on a child's push toy. Do not push vehicle while child is riding on it. I, I thought that was what it was for, but apparently not. Um, or ink cartridge, do not drink. Sorry, we had to tell people that. My favorite, though, was this football helmet that said, no helmet system can protect you from serious brain and or neck injuries, including paralysis or death. To avoid these risks, do not engage in the sport of football. I like it. They just covered all the bases right there. But really, one of the things that most needs a warning label is this right here, isn't it? It's our mouth. We could have something that says words or mouth, or tongue, use with extreme, extreme caution, because it may cause serious injury to yourself and others, right? And that's what James is going to be talking about, is if you're going to open your mouth, and you are, <laughs> if you're going to use words, and you are, then you have to come to grips with this reality, that this mouth of yours, this mouth of mine, everybody's mouth is incredibly dangerous, the words that you use are incredibly dangerous. Now, 
there's all kinds of there's all kinds of like positive things that we could sort of add to what James says. Like last week, last week we were talking about um, what real faith looks like, and faith is lived out, and faith has works. And if you don't have works, it's dead. And James doesn't really let up, though, right? He doesn't say, "But you know, if you're reading this letter, chances are you're doing something." And like he doesn't let up. He's just giving it to us really, really strong and really bold. But he told us in the very beginning that this is what he was going to be doing, right? He, he was saying, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry, and receive with meekness the implanted word because it's able to save your souls. And so, like, there's all kinds of positive things we could say about words, too, right? I mean, words can do good, and words can build up, and words can bless people, but James doesn't have any of that for us, okay? So just get prepared. James isn't going to say, oh, your words can be good, and your words can be bad. He's just going to talk about the dangers of words, because that's what a warning label does, right? It doesn't say, oh yeah, but a football helmet, it's, it's also a great blessing. It's a great gift. He's not, that's not its purpose. Its purpose is to warn you about all the potential dangers and hazards. And that's what James is doing. And he's saying to the church he's speaking to, but again, it's incredibly relevant for us. But before we even get to James, here's what Proverbs says, chapter 18 and verse six, a fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. I like that, don't you? It's, it's true, right? It's true. Keep running your mouth, right? I mean, people say things like that. Keep running your mouth because eventually somebody's going somebody's gonna to shut it for you, right? And that's exactly what the, the writer of Proverbs is saying. He's saying you, you run your mouth and you're going to suffer the consequences of that. So listen to what James says, chapter 3 and verse 1. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, even before we really dig into it, that seems like a really strange thing for the brother of Jesus, for a Christian leader, for a preacher to tell Christians, right? Because we're always telling Christians, go teach, go teach, go teach, go teach, go teach. And so we might think that that's what he would say, like, be, be quick to go tell your neighbor and teach and teach and teach. But he says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Bunch of y'all want to be teachers, and you need to not be so quick to want to be a teacher. You, you really want to position yourself as teachers, and that fits everything that we've been saying about James's audience, doesn't it? Because James's audience, like many of us, they want to be seen as wise. They want people to perceive them as being wise. They want people to perceive them as being religious. They want people to perceive them as having faith. They even like to boast about their own faith or their own wisdom or their own religiosity. And so it makes sense that they would want to position themselves as teachers. And he says, not many of you should position yourself as teachers because we who teach, he's putting himself in that category, we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. You're going to be held to a higher standard, and, and you need to not be quick to position yourself as someone who has all the answers, as someone that others can look to, as someone who, who has a, a word to share and to teach and instruct and guide people. Now, even before we kind of flesh that out a little bit more and see why he's saying that, that in our modern world, in, in the context in which we find ourselves, it's really easy for the average person to position themselves as a teacher, isn't it? It's really easy. In fact, it's never been as easy 
as it is now. I mean, there's been some advancements in technology that have allowed more and more people to be teachers. The printing press, right? That was, that was a great advancement. It allowed more people to teach. It allowed sort of the, the gatekeepers to be kind of taken away a little bit and more people to have access to the written word so that they could teach more people. And so the printing press made it possible for even more people to become teachers. And, and we've invented a lot of things and developed a lot of things that make people have the ability to position themselves, give them the platform, as we say, for teaching. But nothing, we've never seen anything like the internet, and especially like social media, right? Social media makes it possible for the average person for the average person to say, hey, come over here, I got all the answers, I know, I got all this figured out, let me teach you, let me teach you, let me teach you, let me teach you. In fact, we have all kinds of pressure from our peers that say, you ought to, you ought to share everything you think, everything that passes through your head, just tell somebody about it, right? And I mean, that's sort of the world in which we live where everybody wants to be a teacher. And so again, James's word was relevant for the people of his day. Because obviously there were people in the church to which he's speaking that wanted to position themselves as teachers, wanted a platform on which to speak, and he's saying, not so fast. Don't be so fast to want to be a teacher because when you become a teacher, you're going to be held to a higher standard. Now, obviously for me, <laughs> this is incredibly humbling, incredibly humbling. For anybody who teaches a Bible class or whoever stands up here or teaches their children or teaches their neighbors, but even, even if your teaching is online and you're just using your Facebook platform or your Twitter platform or whatever to teach your peers and to say, hey, let me instruct you about this, that, or the other, this is relevant not just for preachers and teachers who do this every day, but for every one of us. Because our, our world, our culture, our technology has almost encouraged us and, and almost given us peer pressure to become teachers. And so James's word to all of us is relevant that says, whoa, 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 pull on the reins just a little bit, hold back just a little bit. Think about this before you position yourself as teachers. He says in verses two and three, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So very few people would say they're perfect, right? Very few people would say, I, I've got it all figured out. I, I control myself perfectly. But somebody might say, oh, but I don't, I don't mess up in what I say. He says, nonsense. If you don't mess up in what you say, if, you're, if you speak every word you speak is just the perfect word at the perfect time that's gonna bring the perfect message, then you're perfect in every way because your mouth is the hardest part of you to control. If you don't mess up in what you say, then, then you're perfect because that's the last thing you might get under control is your mouth. And, and James is including himself in this, right? He's saying everybody messes up in what they say. And so these people that are quick to teach, that are quick to, to speak up and say, hey, I, I need the spotlight over here. Let me, let me tell you, I got a word for you. I'm going to teach you this. I'm going to teach you that. That think that their speech and aren't taking to heart this warning 
this warning about the danger of positioning ourselves as teachers and acting like what, what they have to say is perfect, they need to recognize that nobody's mouth is perfect. Nobody is perfect with their mouth. Every single one of us, every teacher, every preacher, every Bible class teacher, every parent, everybody who has ever taught anybody anything, everybody that's ever opened their mouth or shared a word from their lips or from their thumbs, whatever it is, however you're communicating, you've messed up in what you've said. And the humility that goes along with that is necessary before you position yourself as a teacher. Before you position yourself as a teacher, before you teach anybody anything, before you open your mouth, recognize that the tongue is the hardest thing to bridle. He says, verse 3, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. If you can get the mouth under control, the rest of it's easy. He's saying that's, that's the hardest part. That's the hardest part. So these people to whom he's speaking or about whom he's speaking, they seem to think that, that they were perfect in what they were saying. And he's saying, you're not. Nobody is perfect in everything that they say. And you have to recognize that first. Because if you don't have the humility to recognize, every time I open my mouth, I probably say something. Something I probably shouldn't say or I shouldn't have said it that way. As a communicator, somebody that does this multiple times every week, multiple times on a Sunday, there's not a Sunday I get home and I think, hmm, that was perfect. I didn't mess up at all. I ask my kids. They, they say, you know, I, I, I go over everything and I think, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Why did I say that? I shouldn't have said it this way. I should, I should have said, I forgot to say this or I, I said that and I probably shouldn't have or I didn't explain that. But... If we get so proud and oblivious to the fact that our words are so dangerous and it is so very hard to speak what is good and right and true and uplifting, if we don't recognize the danger, if we don't recognize the difficulty, if we don't recognize that those dangers are inherent in opening our mouth, then we probably shouldn't open our mouth at all. Because if you could get your mouth under control, your whole body would be under control. He says, verse 4, Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. He says, the mouth is this tiny part of your body, this tiny part of your body, but it may very well be the most consequential part of your body. And we've experienced both sides of this probably, haven't we? You've probably experienced saying something that you shouldn't have said. If you haven't experienced that, you're either haven't said very much or you're not being very honest with what you've said. You've probably said something and afterwards you thought, oh, why did I say that? Why did I say that? Because you recognize that that could change. I could alter somebody's entire day. That could alter their week. That could alter their life because of what you said. And you've experienced the other side of that too, haven't you? Where somebody has said something. Maybe they didn't intend to be rude. Maybe they didn't intend to be mean. Maybe they didn't intend to, to hurt your feelings. Maybe they didn't intend to lie to you. Maybe they didn't intend to whatever, but they did. Or maybe they did. Maybe they very much intended to say what they said, and it was like a barb in your heart. 
Maybe it was an insult. Maybe it was gossip. Maybe it was a lie. Maybe somebody gossiped about you behind your back. Maybe somebody told a lie about you. But you've experienced probably the pain and turmoil that one careless word can cause. And again, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that there's not a lot of good your mouth can do too. And I'm sure that James would agree, there's a lot of good that your mouth can do. There's a lot of good that your words can do. But that's not what this context is talking about. This context is all about recognizing the inherent danger because your mouth is little, but it's consequential. Just like the rudder on a ship is small, but one small alteration in the rudder changes the entire course of the ship. And these people that want to be teachers, those of us who want to teach, those of us that want to share something, that want to be influential, before we say a word, before we open our mouth, before we open up social media, we have to recognize the potential dangers in what we might accidentally cause if we speak a word carelessly. Verse 5, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Again, I, I'm sure that James would say, oh, no, no, words can also, I mean, he's using words as he writes this, this letter, right? He's using words as he preaches and teaches. So he knows that words can also be uplifting, but we, we have to talk about this, this flip side of it and how, how evil, how destructive our words can be. In fact, the, the last time I taught this text, I was with the Jacobs in Fresno, California. We were, we were out there this, uh, a few months ago, and they were, and I assume still are, experiencing an incredible drought and I mean, there were, had fires nearby in the area. And so this idea of a whole forest is set on fire by a small spark, I mean, is incredibly relevant there. But here's the thing. Like, if you, if you recognize that a tiny little fire is incredibly dangerous, it doesn't mean you never light a match again. It doesn't mean you never use a lighter again. It doesn't mean you never have a campfire. It means that when you do, you do it carefully. You do it incredibly carefully because you recognize the danger. In fact, you don't want someone using a match or a lighter or having a campfire if they don't understand the danger. If they think, what's the harm? What's going to happen? It's no big deal. No, you're the last person that needs a match. No, if you don't understand the danger of this, don't you dare light a match. It's only when you recognize the incredible danger of it so that you hesitate, so that you wait, so that you're not quick with your words, so that you hold on and say, do I need to say that? Is that the right thing to say? Is this the right time to say it? Is this the right person to say it? Is this the right person to say it to? Should I say these words? If you don't recognize the potential dangers and the potential destruction, then you probably shouldn't say anything at all. Verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So if your neighbor comes to you and says, hey, I tamed a lion, you could say, cool, what's his name? Or I tamed a bear, you say, that's fantastic, I want to see that sometime. But if he says, I tamed my tongue, I say all the right things at the right time, he's going to lie about other things too. 
right? He's a liar. Nobody has done that. Nobody has done that. And James puts himself in the same category. James would say, I mess up in what I say too. We all do. And that's exactly why not quick to say, I want to teach, I want to platform, I want to share my ideas, I want to share my thoughts. Because if you're quick to do that and you're eager to do that, then you probably don't understand just how dangerous it is to do that. You don't understand that every time you open your mouth, every time you use your fingers to text something or post something, every time you share any words, you are playing with fire. You're playing with fire. And yes, yes, of course, of course, good can happen from that. And yes, we need to build people up with words, absolutely. But don't even do that. Don't even try to build somebody up. Don't try to teach somebody. Don't try to encourage somebody until first you recognize this truth. Until first you recognize the danger in what you say. We could probably, I can think back to things that were said to me like in middle school, maybe even elementary school that hurt and I still remember those words. And probably you can think of those kind of things too. And so if that's true, then we recognize that we all have to be careful in what we say. Now, he says in verse 9, he says, With it, with this mouth of ours, with this tongue of ours, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Now he's getting really specific about one particular thing, or rather two particular things, that we might use our mouth for, and to say that these things are antithetical. You, you shouldn't be doing both of these with the same mouth. With our mouth, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. And again, don't miss the theology here. Don't miss the richness of the theology. He says, every human being that you're tempted to curse, every human being that you're tempted to say all kinds of nasty, horrible things about them, they are made in God's image. Every one of them even if they hold public office. I'm not kidding, am I? Right? I know. We think if, if they're a celebrity or they're famous or they hold public office, then, you know, I mean, you know, they put themselves out there, I can say whatever I want. Nope. They are image bearers of God. Every one of them. Your neighbors, your family members, the people you pass on the street, the people that cut you off in traffic, and people that hold public office, every one of them are image bearers of God. And what does that, that mean? In the ancient world, if you thought of the image of a God, you'd probably think of an idol. And, and we, the image of something else. A flag is a pretty good example. People tend to think about flags not just like they're a piece of fabric, but that they are an image of something else. And so people feel like if you were to spit on or disrespect that flag that you are disrespecting or that you are spitting on whatever that flag represents. And somebody who worshipped an idol would have felt the same way. That if you spit on their idol or you threw dirt on their idol, or you smacked their idol and it fell over, that you weren't just dishonoring a piece of wood or metal or, or stone. You were dishonoring the God that it represented. Now, our God has images. Our God has image bearers. And do you know who they are? Your family members, your neighbors, 
the guy who cuts you off in traffic, and the people that hold public office. Those are image bearers of our God. They might be doing things that are wrong. They might be saying things that are wrong. They might be on the wrong path. They might be not nice people. They may be evil people, but they are still image bearers of God. And James says, this is one of the problems, that with the same mouth, you're blessing God, worshiping God, praising God, and then with the same mouth, you're saying all kinds of horrible, nasty things about the image bearer of that God. It's like somebody saying, I worship Zeus, and then disrespecting the idol to Zeus. Nobody would do that. Because if you honor that God, you would honor that God's image. And your neighbor and your state representative, your guy who cuts you off in traffic, your brother, your sister, your cousin, your crazy uncle, all of those people are image bearers of our God. And he says you have to remember that when you use your mouth. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, neither can a salt pond yield fresh water? He says, you're boasting and saying, I'm a freshwater spring. And then we taste your, your water and you got salt water. You're saying, I'm this kind of a fruit tree and yet we eat your fruit, and that's not the kind of fruit tree you are at all. You can't say, I'm a worshiper of Yahweh God, and then curse the people that are made in the image of Yahweh God. It hits us right where we live, doesn't it? Every single one of us. That you can't boast and say, I'm a teacher. I, I want to teach you about God. I want to teach you about my God. I want to teach you about Yahweh. I want to teach you about Jesus, who is the embodiment of all that Yahweh is, and then curse the people that are made in Yahweh's image. He says, you're saying one thing, but you're doing another. You're advertising that you're one thing, but then by your, by your actions, by your words, you're, you're discrediting, discrediting yourself. You discredit yourself, you, you take away and disqualify yourself from teaching about God when you curse the people that are made in God's image. How you use your mouth matters. What you say about people, whoever those people are, your uncle, your cousin, the guy who cuts you off in traffic, or the people that hold public office, whatever you say about them is a reflection of your faith, of your religion. See, that's what James wants them to get over and over and over again. Religion isn't just what you do on Sunday. It's not just what you do when you're gathered together. Religion is what you're doing and how you're treating people on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. It's how you treat your neighbor. Over and over again, Peter, Paul would say, I, I know, I know who the emperor is. I, I know who the governing authorities are. You still have to honor them. You still have to honor them. I, I know what your enemies do to you. But instead of cursing them, you have to bless them. This is what it looks like to live out the religion that we say we, we have, we, that we say we believe. 
This is what it looks like to honor our God, that when you honor his image bearers, whoever they are, you honor Yahweh. And when you curse his image bearers, and then you bless Yahweh, there's a contradiction there, and it's antithetical, and you can't have both. It's like a, a fig tree and grapes and it's fresh water, salt water. It, they don't come from the same place. And blessing God and cursing his people or the people that are made in his image, these things are antithetical. Again, from Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 19, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. And again, I mean, I'm preaching to myself more than I am anybody else, just so you know. Because there's not a day that goes by that I don't talk. And there's not a time that I talk that I don't say something that probably wasn't exactly what I should say. And so the more I talk, the more chance I am going to say something that I really shouldn't say. And the same is true for all of us. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. The more we talk, the more chance there is that we're going to say something that's going to do very serious damage. And yes, again, again, I, I hate being negative. I, like, I hate just talking about the, the, the negative side of this. I, I don't like that. You know, you know me. I'd like to let's talk about how our words lift up and build up and encourage. I would love to talk about that. I talk about how words make us laugh and how words can build people up and words make people feel good. Yes, all of that is true. But we have to live with this reality too, don't we? And say, if I keep running my fingers and I keep running my mouth, I'm going to say something that I shouldn't say. And yes, God is merciful, and God is forgiving, and God is gracious. Yes, 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 absolutely. But none of that should change the fact that I have to be very careful with my words. I have to be wise with my words. And according to James, the wise way to use our words is sparingly and lovingly, right? sparingly in that I have to recognize that the, the more I say, the greater my chances of saying something that is sinful and wrong and hurtful and destruction and destructive. But I also have to recognize that my words should not just be sparing, but my words should be loving. That when I speak to people or about people, that I am speaking about people that are image bearers of God. Now, does that mean that there's never a time to correct somebody? Of course not. That's what James is doing, right? That's what this book is. It's a correction. So yes, there's a time to teach, and there's a time to correct. But before we step in to be a teacher or corrector or rebuker, we have to recognize that if we're going to be followers of Jesus, then the wise way to use our words is sparingly and lovingly. That our religion isn't just what we think in our head. It isn't just what we believe in our heart. It's also what we say to and about each other. Let's pray. Father God, once again, I repent, Father. I repent of saying things that I shouldn't have said. And Father, failing to exercise the wisdom of restraint 
of speaking when I should have listened and listening and not listening the way I should have and not waiting until I had the right words to say. Father, I know that you are gracious and merciful and that we've all failed in the things that we've said. And Father, we do ask for your forgiveness. But Father, we also ask for wisdom, for discernment, knowing that you give wisdom graciously. You give it abundantly. You give it generously. And Father, we pray that you give us an abundant amount of wisdom, wisdom that will help us to use our words sparingly and lovingly. Father, help us to follow the example of Jesus and help us, Father, to fall at his feet and to graciously receive the forgiveness that he offers. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.